you tuning in with us online, welcome, good morning. We invite you right where you are to join with us as we give God our attention. Whatever you brought in with you, lay it at the door. Let's bless the Lord this morning. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done
Uh
creator, God, we give you so much thanks and so much praise this morning as we focus on that beautiful love that you lavish upon your children, that you offer freely to anybody who comes to you with a repentant heart, God. May you bind us together in unity as we cling to the hope that we have in your unfailing love and in your faithfulness. If we look upon your sacrifice, God, we always have something to be thankful for. We offer this time up in praise for your glory, and we give you all the thanks and praise as your church, as your body this morning. And everybody here joins me in saying, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning. It is great to see you if you're at home tuning in. Good morning to you as well. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm on staff here at Northview, and we have a lot going on, and we're very excited to see programs and in-person ministries starting back up. Want to tell you about a few of those things, uh, including one of them is restarting this week. So Impact uh, is our clever name for our middle school and high school midweek youth group. High school meets on Tuesdays, middle school meets on Thursdays, and we are starting back up for the 2020-2021 school year this Tuesday and Thursday. We're very excited. Uh, we do have some distancing and some temp checks uh, in place that you can see is if you get our e-news, it's in there. You'll see a sign as you drop off on Tuesday and Thursday as well. Uh, if you don't know what Impact is, it's largely small group focus. We usually start in here, spend some time together as a, either a middle school or a high school, and then we head off. We have group leaders uh, that really encourage students to engage with their faith. Uh, we're very excited about this. It's our first time having our midweek in person uh, since the first week of March. So it's exciting to be back. Uh, and with that, even today, last week we had middle school and high school. We met outside and we had campfires and muffins and it was awesome. And then this morning is our first middle school, high school in the youth room, uh, kind of getting back to how we are. So in just a few minutes, if you are in sixth through eighth grade, uh, I will let you know. Zeb's right over here. He's our middle school director. He'll lead the charge through those doors and you can head up and hang out with him uh, in the youth room. High schoolers, nine through 12, uh, you get to hang out with me during second service. Uh, with the high school, we are working on planning a mission trip experience for them for next summer, next July, to head down uh, and partner with an organization called Caravan in Tijuana that work to serve in the community uh, down in Mexico. I know there's a lot of questions. I think the main one is, are you crazy? You're planning a mission trip right now? Absolutely. Uh, why not? I'm sorry. We're not just going to sit idly by. We're going to put a, a step forward. We're going to hope uh, that we can do something, which is why we're, we're calling this the hope of Mexico, because hopefully we're going to Mexico. Um, if we cannot go to Mexico, we will still have a mission trip experience for the students that are on the team. Uh, but what's important to know is on our website, as well as out in the lobby, there is a ton of information about this trip, but there's also a lot of questions that students and families are going to have as well as others that might just be curious what's going on. So I'm going to be hosting two informational meetings uh, in October. They will both be in line or online and in person. So however you're comfortable joining, you can join with me and learn more about the mission trip. Uh, signing up and showing up for the informational meeting does not guarantee a spot on the trip. You can come and listen and say, man, that sounds great. Be blessed. We're going to back out this year. Uh, that's totally cool. I just want you to know what we're doing. So if you're interested at all, or if you have high schoolers that are interested, please sign up for one of those. You can find it on the website. You can, you can grab me between services, and I can help you with that. But we're very excited uh, for this opportunity to take the students uh, back down to Mexico. Uh, for the kids, Awana is restarting. 
Uh, on the 11th, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be doing Awana online. Uh, Kayla is putting together some incredible material for you to engage with the Awana curriculum still at home. We want to encourage students. Awana is all about being in your Bible and memorizing scripture. It's okay if we're not in person to do that. We want to encourage families to be helping their students with that. Uh, but you still need to sign up if you want to participate in that and get the resources. So you can do that on the website. Also, when you pick up your kids uh, from Kayla upstairs, feel free to let her know if you have any questions about that. Uh, also for our kids, uh, we still have online church available for them, whether they're sitting in here or if you're at home. Uh, online church available for your kids so they can still be engaged. You can still do church as a family. You can head onto the website as well and find out information about that. Kids and youth aside, gentlemen, we are doing another men's breakfast. We did one a couple months ago. It was right in this very room, and it was really great being able to connect with one another, see each other after a long time apart. October 17th is the next opportunity for that. Really want to encourage gentlemen, please sign up. We're bringing breakfast in. We're going to keep everybody as safe as possible but please come and reconnect with one another. Uh, we are not passing buckets at this time, but if you have offering that you would like to drop off here in person, uh, there's boxes by each of the doors. You can drop it in there. Um, if you'd rather do it online, whether you're here or joining us uh, on Facebook and YouTube, you can head to the website and do that there. But regardless, let's go ahead and pray this morning as we transition. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the start of a new of a new season here as fall sets in and we have an opportunity, Lord, to, to re, just recenter. May this morning be an opportunity for that. May we be able to set aside for the next little bit the distractions and focus on you and listen to your word, Lord. Thank you for those who give the obedient call that they're responding to. Be with us this morning, Lord, in your name. Amen. Steve, come on up. Middle school, have a great time upstairs. posse running up by the way they also do the midweek uh, study hall thing and uh, I just want it's a really cool deal and parents take advantage of it and uh, uh, hats off to Rob and Zeb and Kayla for just kind of thinking outside the box and making that uh, happen it's really a good deal and then also this morning uh, if you're watching us online uh, we will be doing communion this morning and so I want to make sure that you get the elements ready those of you here it's already on the chairs by you, so we'll be able to do that together. So uh, last week we emphasized three things. If you remember, uh, if you were here, uh, we went over these three things. It said that as we go into the fall, there's going to be some things that we as the church need to do corporately and individually together. One is we need to remain steadfast. Uh, it's just really easy to go high, low. The news takes you all over the place. Uh, and one of the ways that you stay steadfast is you stay in the Word and you stay praying. That means every day, all right? Every day you read. Uh, two chapters a day, you can read through the New Testament in less than six months. Four chapters a day, and you can read through the entire Bible in less than a year, okay? And so I just want to encourage you with that. It can be done. It's doable. The more you read it, the more you get it. The more you get it, the more you follow. The more you follow, the steadier you are, all right? And that includes prayer. Couples, I want to encourage you, praying together is one of the most powerful things that you can do, not just for yourselves, but for our church here. And so uh, staying steadfast. The second one we emphasized was the need to uh, keep our unity. 
And our unity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in ourselves. There's nothing different about us. We can be as fractious and contentious as any group of people, right? But our unity is in the Lord Jesus. And as we go into the fall and more and stuff kicks up and storms arise and will blow through, uh, we need to maintain our unity. And then the third thing we said is that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, in light of what Jesus has done for us, we need to walk in a way that's appropriate, a way that's reciprocal, a way that responds back in a like kind as he has done for us, so we will do for him. And of course, that's only in his strength and power, right? It's in his grace. That's not a performance thing, but that's a following thing. Uh, we believe in the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, right? And we are followers of him. So the idea here is to walk in a manner worthy to follow well. So if you're looking at those, of those three things, I think the one that's the most vulnerable heading into the fall is the unity piece. Uh, if you were to ask me watching the landscape, I think that's the one that's going to come under the most attack. Um, and as the presidential debate showed, it's easy to fragment into a bunch of polarized camps and divide over issues, right? That's just, we do that without trying. So I want to add a fourth item to the list this week, which is this one. Love each other deeply. All right? And to do that, we're going to begin a new series in one of the most beloved books in all of the New Testament, and that's the book of Philippians. Now, we've never done Philippians here at Norfolk while I've been here, and uh, it'll be exciting to do it. It's a book of encouragement. The Philippian church was a good church. It was a solid church. It was one that was a tremendous blessing to Paul. Uh, both for the support of him and the ministry, but also because he didn't have to correct a lot of things like he did with the other churches and the other epistles. Uh, when you read this one, you get a sense of they're just linked up and they wish they could be back together again. And he bumps them on a several things and you'll do well and I, I can't wait to hear how you've done. It's that kind of spirit to it. They, did, they were doing a lot of things right. And they're a good model for us. So we're going to take a look at that. Uh, before we do, let's pray this morning, all right? Fathers, we come into the book of Philippians. Any of your word is significant, and it speaks into both the past and the, the present and the future. And Lord, as we come to this book, we would pray that you would open it up for us. Pray that as we are listening, we would connect with our world and your voice. And Lord, we seek you for that. We ask for your manifest presence both here and at home. Lord, we seek you that you would help us as your group here in Mill Creek, just one of the groups that you've gathered, Lord, that you would help us to flourish and be fruitful even in troubled times. And we ask that the book of Philippians will encourage us in that pursuit. So we give that to you in great hope and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so let's get started. We'll do a little background this morning and, and catch up and, and look. The series is called The Upward Call. And uh, here you can see a map of the uh, Mediterranean. And this is the area that we're talking about. You can see Jerusalem up there over on your right, lower right. And then if you go up a little farther, Antioch. And then if you head into what we would know as modern-day Turkey, you can see Ephesus. And if you cross the water there and go across, you can see uh, the towns that we're going to talk about this morning, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, and then Rome. And uh, we'll, we'll connect with all those. The expositors, 
Bible commentary tells us that Philippi was originally called Crenides, which is a weird word for us, right? Uh, but it, it means springs. And, uh, and so thus they had a good water supply, which means it was a great place to build a city. And so they built the city there. Uh, and uh, in 356 B.C., so roughly 350 years before Jesus showed up, the name was changed by King Philip of Macedonia in honor of himself, so he called it Philippi. <laughs> right? So not unlike a king to do that. And Philippi was, uh, just for you history buffs, uh, a, the site of some massive history. Uh, just we'll take a look. In 42 B.C., the Battle of Philippi was fought in the plains just west of town. And, and the Battle of Philippi matched Octavian and Mark Anthony and Lepidus versus the Republicans of Rome and uh, Brutus and Cassius. And many of you probably know some of this story. Brutus and Cassius, of course, will always be remembered for their assassination of Julius Caesar, right? But really, it was a battle over government and what type of government should rule. A Republican form of government versus an autocratic form of government. Huh, we haven't moved that far away, have we? Right? And, uh, and so this battle took place. If you've never read about it, it's a worthy read with some good lessons in it. But uh, Octavian and Mark Anthony and Lepidus won. That, uh, Brutus and Cassius both ended up committing suicide in different separate battles because uh, they each thought the other was dead, so they were going to be dead too. And then the next battle that took place was really uh, an extension and a culmination of that first battle, and that was the Battle of Actium, and that now pits Octavian against Mark Anthony. Octavian wins decisively and uh, defeats Anthony, and then he becomes known as the person in Scripture called Caesar Augustus, the first real emperor of Rome. And as a result of this, uh, the city of Philippi benefited greatly from this whole deal. Uh, it receives exalted and honored status. It's given the title the first city or the chief city. Um, it wasn't the capital or anything like that, but it was because of what had taken place there. It was kind of like the honorary site, if you want to think that way. And as a result, it had first city privileges, some pretty cool things kicked their way. Uh, they had autonomous government, so they were able to rule themselves and set up the way they wanted to. They had immunity from tribute, so they didn't have to pay taxes uh, to the government. And they were treated as if they actually lived in Italy. Remember, Philippi is in Greece, right? Or what was known back then as Macedonia. And so uh, they, they were a pretty uh, unique set of uh, people and uh, also, Philippi was located along the Via Inatia, right, which is a road, a main road. You'll see it here. One of the things that made Rome powerful and made it able to conquer the world was it, were its roads. And they were uh, incredible road builders. And this is the route here. You can see it. And, and this road goes all the way from uh, down here, if you're going all the way through Istanbul and coming up, and you can see where it cuts across the northern part of Greece. So it covered, the, and Philippi's on that road. And then goes all the way up and takes off and goes to Britain. So it's a massive road back in the day. We think of uh, highways we build, but they were pretty good at it too. And in AD 49 or 50, Paul was on his first missionary journey. 
And this is where Paul is in what we would call modern-day Turkey, and then he receives what's known as the Macedonian call. In Acts 16, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troash. Now here's the map of the Mediterranean again, if you're looking there. Um, so Paul is traveling in what we know as modern-day Turkey, and he goes to the eastern part of it, to Troas up there, you can see it, and there's, um, uh, he's trying to negotiate his way through the country, but the Holy Spirit will not let him go north or south. So then if we pick it up in Acts 9, 16, 9, and 10, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. By the way, this is Luke writing this, right? Luke authored the gospel, Luke, and the book of Acts. <clears throat> so they go from Troas across the strait to Samothrace. And once they debark, they go to Neapolis and then into Philippi the next day. The Via Ignatia ran right through Philippi and ran alongside the forum of that city. So uh, it was the main uh, thoroughfare through town, so to speak. And this is the road on which Paul entered the city. Paul came to Philippi in AD 50 and founded the church there. In Acts 16, we pick up the action. If you want to take your Bibles or your phone and turn to Acts 16, you can kind of follow along here. We'll just kind of do a thumbnail outline of what was going on, but it's in Acts 16. You can follow the whole story. Uh, the first thing that happened is they went down to the riverside, ran into a group of people. One of them there was Lydia. She was the maker of all things purple and uh, cloth. And, and so she is there and she um, listens to Paul sharing the message of the gospel. She comes to faith and her whole household comes to faith. They get baptized. And so there's an immediately uh, a great response in Philippi. And then there's that story about the demon-possessed girls that go around and say, these are the servants of the Most High God, and they will tell you the way of salvation. And she kept doing that day after day and really irritated Paul uh, because apparently she was preempting things that he was trying to do as he's sharing with people. So he finally uh, cast the demon out of her, which is a good thing for the gal, was a bad thing for the owners because she was a slave girl, and the owners had just lost their way of being profitable because they were able to predict things through her to make good business deals. And so they get all ticked. They go after Paul. They beat him up. They take him into the marketplace, throw him before the leaders. They then beat them, with Paul and Silas, with rods. And this is the famous story where they're thrown in the Philippian jail. Right? They're in the Philippian jail. At midnight, Paul and Silas are singing hymns. Okay? When's the last time you sang a hymn after you got beaten up? All right? Well, that's what happened to them. And they were singing, the, the, there was an earthquake, the jail cell doors were open, and as they opened, the jailer was going to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had left. And Paul cries out, no, we're still here. And he comes in and he takes care of them, he bathes their wounds, and the jailer and all his family come to know Christ. The next day, the leaders find out that Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens, and they go, oops, because that was a big no-no. They had never checked into who they were. They thought they were outsiders. So they said, please just leave town. And Paul said, no way. 
You beat us publicly and threw us in jail. You come and you lead us out of town. And so that's how Paul ended up doing that and then going on to Thessalonica. Thessalonica, of course, there's a whole other story there. He ends up in Berea. Then he ends up in Corinth. And, uh, and you, from there on, continues the rest of the journey. So that's a little bit about where we are. So Paul's stay in Philippi was short but impactful. Philippi's significance. What's the significance of Philippi? The significance of it, it's the first European church. Okay, so when you think of Europe, and you think of you know, all the places we know in Europe, England and France and Germany, and all, the very first European church was actually Philippi. And so when you think about the gospel moving uh, throughout the world, that was um, the beach landing, so to speak. Philippi was the first one. And Paul loved that church, went back and visited several times himself. And uh, so now that we have the background, let's look at the setting, okay? Because the setting's a little different. So now it's 10 years later, okay? So it's AD 60, 61, and uh, the place is now Rome. So Paul's now gone all the way across. He's in Rome. Uh, The setting, Paul is in prison. Uh, If you remember the story, Paul's uh, third missionary journey had ended with him being in Jerusalem, and he escaped a murder plot because his nephew had informed the centurion of the plot. And as a result, he's taken under guard to Caesarea Philippi, there's the name again, right, uh, to uh, wait trial. And uh, after several years of legal wrangling, uh, Paul, uh, realizing it's a cooked deck, appeals to Caesar and is taken through Rome through a rather indirect route, a shipwreck and all this stuff. You can read that in the book of Acts. It's a great story. And uh, he winds up in prison, really kind of under house arrest, but has some freedom. And then this is the setting in which the book of Philippians is written and what we're going to look at this morning. So it starts like this. Let's start with verse 1, and we'll start walking into it. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we're introduced to another famous character in the New Testament, the disciple Timothy. Timothy had been with Paul when he had planted the church in Philippi 10 years earlier. And Timothy was Paul's faithful and beloved child in the Lord. You can read that in Acts 4.17, the chapter after 16. And Paul says that he has no one like him later in this book. So uh, Paul thinks the world of Timothy. And Timothy was a delight to Paul. And Paul trusted him with several journeys uh, of his own to visit the churches as Paul could because he was in prison. And, uh, And the greeting is to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Saint in Greek is the word hagios, all right? And uh, it means consecrated to God, holy, sacred, pious. Uh, The best understanding would be the set-apart ones, right? The set-apart ones, the saints, God's saints, those that he has set apart. And the greeting is also to the overseers and deacons. And we get some cool words out of this that we know. um, Most of us don't read Greek, but the Greek word uh, for deacon is diakonos, and originally meant a waiter or a server. So a deacon then went on to be the meaning of one who served in the church, right? And we know that word today. Uh, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros, 
Presbyteros is the word we get the word Presbyterian from. So if you come out of a Presbyterian background, it merely meant an elder-ruled church. All right? That's where we get that term from. And then the other word for overseers is episkopos, from which we get the word Episcopalian. So if you wonder what the Episcopalian church stands for, it means the church run by overseers. All right? That's where those words originally came out of the New Testament. So that's kind of fun. And what we see here, what this tells us, is that the church had developed a fair level of sophistication from its humble beginnings. From where Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke came, and when they had planted the church, to 10 years later, Paul's now greeting the overseers and the deacons, and, and basically the running structure, the governmental structure of the church. And so uh, they had come a long way. And Paul was greeting the leaders, many of whom he probably knew personally and had a relationship with. The greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes Paul's standard greeting in the New Testament. He uses it in six other epistles, if you want to check this out. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And, and I just want to suggest that grace and peace, that grace and peace he talked about from the Lord Jesus, is still being passed down to us today. It is and through his grace that we walk, and it is in his peace that we abide, just like the Philippian church did 2,000 years ago. Isn't that incredible? We stand in those shoes. We stand in those footprints. Paul goes on to say in verses 3 to 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In other words, every time I think of you. Do you have people like that in your life? Right? When you think of them, you just, oh. Right? And they, they come to your mind often, and you probably can't even get together with them, but, boy, you just think the world of them. I have lots of people like that. And it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was incredibly grateful for the Philippian church. Uh, he said he was just filled with joy as he thought about them and how they had carried the load with him from the beginning. This was one of the groups that uh, really got it. And, and they were with Paul, and they supported Paul. They supported the ministry, and Paul would come back and forth several different times, and he always got refreshed by them and encouraged by them. And it was a church that uh, Paul was excited about. They had never wavered in their support. They had always stuck true. And, and Paul held them in a special place because of that. Right? Verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, that's an important verse, not just for them. That's an important verse for us today. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all meant to finish the race. None of us are meant to quit at the halfway point. None of us are meant to quit at the three-quarters point. We are to all finish the race that is laid out for us in Christ Jesus. And Paul is encouraging them. They've gone 10 years, they've done well. You've got farther to go, keep going. Paul was not only confident of the Philippians' faithfulness, but he was even more confident of God's faithfulness. Paul was sure that God would come through, and Paul was sure that God would come through for him, and Paul was sure that God would come through for the Philippian church. And he's encouraging them in that. 
He had watched God birth the church in Philippi. He was confident that God would bring it to completion. And as I said, this needs to be true for us as well. Uh, we're, we're an ancient church. We're 21 years old. Okay, Man, we think we've done a lot of stuff. And, and those of us who've been here most of the time, we've done a lot of stuff. Have we gone as far as we need to go? No. Okay, What will the next 21 years look like? We have no clue. But we know this. Jesus will be in it just as much as he was in the first 21 years, right? And we have to have that kind of faith. It's not just attending church. It's not just being part of a church. It is being the church. And that means day by day, step by step, faith by faith, right? We have to keep leaning in for the the journey that God has for us. Our confidence must be entirely in Christ entirely in Christ, that he will, by his grace, see us all the way with him into completion, and that is eternity, okay? That he'll take us with him into eternity. And, and the question is, when is that? When is Jesus revealed? Well, he'll be revealed when he comes back the second time. By the way, speaking of that, um, Esther and I were having a conversation this week, and she made me aware of an article that appeared uh, in the Israeli News Today, uh, the article's written by a guy named Ryan Jones. And the title is, here's the article right here. It says, Israeli rabbi says he's already holding meetings with the Messiah. Yeah, interesting, right? Says, Israeli's uh, biggest or most important rabbis, that, that's the way you should interpret that. Israeli's most important rabbis are all afraid to leave the country lest they miss the Messiah's coming. Let me read this to you. In a recent interview on Israeli radio, yeah, so if you weren't awake, now you're awake, right? Now you're listening. Yeah, at home, you dropped your stuff, you're watching, okay. Recent interview on Israel radio again featured prominent rabbis explaining that the Messiah is just about to reveal himself. Rabbi Yaakov Zisholtz on Sunday told religious broadcast Radio 2000 that Rabbi Haim Kaneski recently told him that he, Kaneski, is already in direct contact with the Messiah. To understand why religious Jews are taking this seriously, it's important to know that Rabbi Haim Kiaski is considered one of the two or three top rabbis in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in Israel. And Rabbi Zitzel says that Kanofsky and others are of the mystical concealed rabbis have now tasked him with informing the public of the Messiah's intimate arrival. Rabbi Zitzel began this explosive three-hour interview with a warning. The process of redemption is about to start happening very quickly and at a fast pace. It is important that people remain calm and steady to act properly in the right time. There is a potential Messiah in every generation. There are righteous men who know precisely who it is. This, of course, is true in this generation. Getting the word out now that the Messiah is closer than ever is a matter of life and death. Haven't you heard of Gog and Magog? That is what is going to happen very soon. Right now, the situation is explosive more than you can possibly imagine. Everyone needs to know whether they are on the inside or if they are going to be left out. He went on to reiterate a number of signs which prominent rabbis have taken note of and that they firmly believe to be evidence of the coming Messiah. Uh, Rabbi Dov Kuk, as everyone knows, is a very righteous man. He is one of the greatest men of our generation. And 10 years ago, when Israel was suffering from a horrible drought, someone asked Rabbi Kuk when the Sea of Galilee will again be full, recounted Rabbi Zisholz. These names are something here, okay? Rabbi Kuk responded that when the Messiah arrives, the Sea of Galilee will be full. 
In a few weeks, the Sea of Galilee will be full for the first time since Rabbi Cook made that statement. The rabbi also pointed to Israel's inability to elect a government, which said will not change with the upcoming third election scheduled to take place on March 2nd. So this is coming back in spring here. Another righteous rabbi said that according to the current situation in heaven, there will not be Israeli elections. Rather, there will be a war. Cautions this holds. If the elections do place, take place, it's pointless since it will end like the other elections. No government will come out of it. No one will take the government away from Netanyahu. Decades ago, uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri, one of modern Israel's most revered sages, as well as Lubavitcher Rebbe okay, and Menachem Shirshnan, man, those are names, both predicted that Benjamin Netanyahu would be the state of Israel's last prime minister prior to the Messianic age. A great many, if not most, of the ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel continue to believe that is true. Wow. Right? Now, what does that tell us? Okay, they're talking to somebody, but it ain't Jesus. Okay? That's, it isn't Jesus the Messiah as we know, because Jesus the Messiah, uh, they are not looking for him. All right? So there's something else going on here which tells you we're not the only group looking for the end. By the way, the Muslims are looking for their uh, 12th iman to come back at the same time as well. And so uh, what we're talking about is that uh, there's things being set up that Scripture talks about. And there are things going on that are starting to percolate uh, in terms of people looking. And there will be, as Scripture says, a lot of false messiahs. Okay, A lot of false Messiah is coming and predicting that they are the one. Uh, they're not talking to the Lord Jesus. Because okay? when Jesus comes back, it says in Scripture, he will come back as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, and the whole world will know. But it is interesting to note, they're watching for signs and things. So the question is, who are they really talking to? I don't know. We'll probably find out. All right? Anyways, Jesus will come back. All right? That's the important point. Um, continuing in Philippians 1, all right? Paul says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. As we read this part, we're going to start heading towards communion together. I want you to track here. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. The phrase, I hold you in my heart, is revealing. Okay? Many of us, when we think of Paul, uh, we think of him, he's often portrayed as the stern theologian, or the rule giver, or the powerful orator, or the great apologist. But I don't think he gets enough credit as the great lover of his people. Okay? Paul was deeply moved by his love for people. Remember, it was Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians 13. right? And you don't come up with stuff like that unless you've experienced stuff like that. right? You can't just wing that and write something like 1 Corinthians 13 if you don't know anything about it. Paul points out something really significant. Jesus' affection for them was even greater than his affection. Paul's saying, I'm hold, I hold you in my heart, but that's nothing compared to how the Lord feels about you. 
The phrase, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, means that his love for them was placed in his heart by Jesus himself. And so it's passed down. It goes from Jesus to Paul, and then Paul to the Philippians, and the Philippians to other people. Verse 9 and 11, And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And here's Paul's prayer for them, that their love would abound more and more. And I would say that that has to be true for us as well. Nor if you had a certain ability to love back 21 years ago. We have a certain ability to love right now. We should have a greater capacity to love as we step into the future. It should go more and more from strength to strength, faith to faith, glory to glory. In other words, Paul's praying that that love passes along. And notice that he connects it to knowledge and discernment. So they could approve what is excellent and pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And that God's manifest presence would produce in them the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. So I'm going to ask the uh, communion servers. If, oh, we have it. We don't have to serve. Sorry, <laughs> old tape. Wow. At home, would you get ready to uh, share communion with each other? Thanks so much. That'd be great. As we come to the communion table, I want you to know something. As I was reading this, this isn't just academic. Uh, this November, um, we'll finish... Uh, thanks, Shannon. This November, we'll finish uh, 16 years and start 17 years here as, at Northview. And I want you to know that I, I feel like, Paul, I hold you in my heart. You've been an awesome, awesome church to serve in. We have had wonderful things that we have gone through together. And I, I, I really connected with that. I hold you in my heart. And, and this also comes from the Lord, right? Together. Remember what it says about Jesus' love for his disciples, because really Paul's just reflecting what Jesus had done for him. John 13, 1, it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, and having, here's the famous phrase, having loved his own, that were in the world. He loved them until the end. When we come to communion, as we celebrate and participate in that this morning, let's remember the setting, right? What was the setting? The setting was rather chaotic, because why? The disciples were shouldering and butting each other, arguing over who was the greatest. Not that we'd ever do that, but them dumb disciples did that. Of course, we do that all the time, don't we? And Jesus comes up with an object lesson. Great teachers have great object lessons. And so he takes a towel and wraps a towel around himself, gets a basin of water, and he starts to do something that should have been done at the beginning of the meal, but nobody was uh, low enough on the totem pole to do it because they were all pigpiling for the top of the pile, and they forgot about the basic stuff that was supposed to get done. And so Jesus starts washing their feet. And of course, he comes to Peter, and Peter says, well, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And he says, well, I have to wash you, or you're not clean. He says, well, then, my hands, my face, you know, give me a full body. And Jesus says, no, if, if you've taken a bath, all you need is your feet. It's good. And, and he sits down, and he says, what have I done for you? He says, you call me Lord, you call me Master, and rightfully so. He said, and yet I've washed your feet. 
he said, the greatest among you shall be a servant. You know, uh, Norfew began with the dream of being a servant for the Mill Creek area. Those of you who are there remember that, right? And the dream was to reach and impact the Mill Creek area. And Jesus here is illustrating how we can do it just by serving other people. John 13 tells us that, what's, what's he trying to illustrate? To them? He's showing them how to love each other. He says the way you love each other isn't by all jostling and arguing and trying to get to the top. The way you love each other is head to the bottom. Do the things nobody else will do. Do the dirty things that nobody wants to do. Do the things that everybody walks by. And uh, I was walking outside. The Lord illustrated this for me as he usually does. I was walking by and there was a couple pieces of trash on the ground. And as I was walking by, I thought to myself, somebody should pick that stuff up. Right? You know I'm dead to rights before this one even gets going, right? And I just heard the Lord say, well, why not you? And I said, well, I'm busy and I've got stuff. And oh, all right. And turn around, picked it up, right? Because if you can't be a servant in simple things, you can't be a servant in great things. Right? And again, I, I just want to, as we come to communion, what's our job? Our job is to serve Jesus for as much time as he gives us. Communion isn't a religious act that shows we're good people. Communion says we're sinners that have been hooked to a good God. And because he's a servant, we can serve others as well also. So when we come to communion, you know, as humans, just an added thing, we profess much love, don't we? The truth is we're lousy at it. All you got to do is get married to find that out. Right? We, it takes a lot of cooperation with God to learn to love well. And Jesus knows this. So when we come to communion, he looks in our eyes and he asks, are we all right with him? Are we in a good place with him? And are we all right with each other? Us here this morning, us at home watching, are we all right with each other? You know, a reminder, 1 John 4 says, how can you say you love God whom you can't see if you don't love your brother who you can see? And Jesus is asking us this question when we come to communion. How can you say you love me, you can't even see me, when you don't love the people who you can see? Now, if we applied that principle to Facebook, where do you think we'd be? A little bit different spot, right? That's our task. We're going into the fall, and Jesus is asking this question. And I think this is a great question to hang on for the fall. Will you love me, and will that love translate into loving others? Loving each other, obviously here, but loving also those who are different from us. Knowing what I've done for you, can you do that for me? I want to give us a second to ponder that. Right? Have you thought about who you might have to love as we go into this fall? Have you thought about who really irritates you, who really offends you, who really puts you on edge? Have you thought about that Jesus is asking you to love them? 
I've had four people in my mind this week of who I have to do that with. Take a minute. Stop for a second. Let Jesus ask this question. Will you love me? And will that love translate into loving others? Would you just take a minute in prayer? Just get by yourself and stop and be with the Lord. Let me give you a season just to be with him. And then we'll do communion. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter he talked about, now these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Jesus held up the bread. And he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Eat this in memory of me. And he took the cup. He says, this is the cup, symbol of my shed blood for your sins. He said, drink this in memory of me. We'll ask the worship team to come forward, but let's pray. Father, there's not one of us in this room or one of us sitting at home that knows that love is not a significant challenge. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy to be greedy. It's easy to be impatient. It's easy to be irritated. It takes grace, Lord, to love well. And you have demonstrated and modeled that for us. We pray that grace would extend to us this fall, not just here as we take uh, symbolic wafer and juice, Lord, but as we go out into the real world and real relationships and and all the tension and weirdness that we deal with right now because of the world and the timing that we live in, Lord, would you help us think about how you have loved us and that we in turn need to turn and love others. Lord, I'm first in the list. Start with me. Help us to do that. We give this to you in your name. Amen. Amen. As you're able, I invite you to stand with us as we close this morning. As we think of this whole idea of us joining in unity and loving one another, it's not us doing that, it is God in us. So let's welcome the Spirit of God into our circumstance, into our lives. We're much better with Him at our side. Emmanuel, God with us, we invite you to sing this with us. God. 
have been on a journey for a lot of years learning to love well learning to love like Jesus go farther abound more and more father would you help us 
to learn to love like you. Would you help us to learn to serve like you? And Lord, many of us have tried for a long time. Would you help us continue to lean into that call for the sake of your great gospel? Lord, we seek you for that. We pray for the fruit of righteousness. Lord, we ask for children that would be born to you, Lord, this fall because of all that you're doing and all God's people said, amen. All right, everybody, thanks for coming. Thanks for viewing at home. And again, if you would help us and go out the back doors, that would be fantastic.